It is hilarious on me that today is technically Halloween, and my sermon today is about pretenders. (laughs) People who dress up as something they're not. These wolves in sheep's clothing. The irony should not be lost on us. And let me tell you, these guys are a lot less cute than those little Disney princesses running around my neighborhood today. I've got to say up front, today is going to be kind of a heavier message. I've got about an hour's worth of notes to run through in only a couple of minutes, so I'm going to be going kind of blazing quick through this passage. So I ask for your forgiveness in, in the front end. But uh, let's, let's dive into this text because I want to do... Um, justice to us all and not make this a two or three part series that and leave us with something to meditate on over the course of this week so what is this sheep's clothing what are who are these wolves well the the sheep's clothing probably refers to the woolen attire that the char- that was the characteristic garb of a shepherd in the first century so We have to get the imagery right as we look at this passage. These aren't false sheep. These are false shepherds wearing the attire of a shepherd. But inwardly are these ravenous wolves who impersonate the shepherd, the good shepherd, only to devour the sheep like a ravenous wolf rather than feed and care for the sheep like a true shepherd would. So you guys might be asking me, you know, why do I need to know this? John, you're not that bad. Why do I need to know about these ravenous wolves? What's the, what's the point? And I, I want to tell you guys, you know, most of you guys, when you were growing up, even, even in this area, if a false teacher were to come into town for an event or something like that, you know, the community can make you aware of that. And or at least respond to it after the fact, which is a good thing. Even 20 or 30 years ago, there were only so many guys on the radio or television that uh, we were all aware of who these guys were. You all knew not to listen to Harold Camping, for instance. But, um, But now there are so many teachers on the internet... Through, um, through podcasts, through Facebook videos and YouTube videos, nobody can keep up with it all. Much less have your pastor and spiritual leaders know what every single one of you guys are being influenced by over the week. So the need for the church to exercise discernment and recognize true and false shepherds in that sense has never been greater. Because the, 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 the cost can be so high. So how do you spot one of these counterfeit shepherds? Well, it begins by knowing exactly what the true shepherd looks like. What, what the, if you know what the authentic thing is, you're able to spot a counterfeit. So what makes a true shepherd? It's someone who takes care of the flock of God. It's someone who loves the sheep. It's one who shows people God's sacrificial love for the flock, doing whatever it takes to equip them and see them grow. You know, putting their betterment ahead of their own in many cases. It's someone who has the the character traits outlined in our first reading from 1 Timothy 3. Having that kind of character. That's who we look for. Someone who has such a character that it's been said if they weren't your shepherd, you'd want them as your king. As one theologian put it. 
And so where a true shepherd is others-centered, the false shepherd is self-centered. These wolves don't love God. They don't love others. They love themselves. They, they go into ministry for the money or to feed their, their ego needs. You know, as the, the respect, the admiration, the, the praise of men can be quite alluring to somebody who desires those things above all else. And moreover, the sheep become a means to the end of serving their goals, their desires, rather than the sheep being the end to themselves, the people they are trying to serve. So how would you like someone like that overseeing your soul? How would you like someone like that even just influencing you through their teachings online? You wouldn't want that. You'd want to spot that and move away from those people. So calling it for what it is, that's a bad thing. So how do we identify these people? <laughs> well, funny enough, our friends at AA had the, had the right idea. The first step is realizing there's a problem. Realizing that these people are out there in the first place can be so helpful. Because there are so many of them in our world today. And this is nothing new. They, false shepherds, false prophets have been around since Old Testament times. It's recorded in the Bible. Often they outnumber the true shepherds. Frequently when you read the prophets in the Old Testament. So we cannot be trusting of everybody at step one. Frankly, guys, don't even trust me. Don't trust something I say from the pulpit just because I'm the one saying it. I am not your authority. The scriptures are. Make sure that what I'm saying lines up with the truths of the scriptures. Something isn't true just because I say it. So something to keep in mind. And honestly, just being aware of something makes it harder for you to be caught off guard by something. I remember years ago when I first drove down to, uh, to, to Seaside Park, <laughs> I had a family member tell me before I left, said, now, John, you got to be careful. It's 25 miles an hour from one end of this island to the other. So you're going to be tempted. The road gets wide. Keep it at 25. So I heeded that warning. I set my cruise control at 25 to make sure. I was, being a, young, I was a young driver. I did not trust myself. And lo and behold, there were people to the left and the right of me on both sides that evening who did not get that warning. So be aware. It is helpful. And after becoming aware, Jesus gives us the telltale sign of how to spot these false prophets in verses 16 through 20. I'm just going to go over that again real quickly. It says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. You hear it here, guys. It's by their fruits you will recognize them. In other words, what's coming from them? What is the result of their ministry? And you get the idea from the language Jesus is using that 
He's saying a false prophet will not have the same kind of fruit of their ministry in the same way a true shepherd will. The results of their ministry will look radically different. Just as you won't find grapes in a thorn bush, you won't be able to find good fruit coming from one of these false prophets. So if you take a hard look at them, it'll be revealed who they are, if they're true or false. So what do, we mean, what do I mean by fruit? You keep talking about looking at the fruit. Well, what should I be looking for? <laughs> I'm going to borrow the outline from uh, David Gusick, a pastor out in California, who really did a spectacular job breaking this down into three categories of fruit we should be evaluating. Highly encourage you guys to write these down or put them in your phones. This is so helpful. The three categories to look for is the manner of their living, the content of their teaching, and the effect of their teaching. The manner of their living, the content of their teaching, and the effect of their teaching. First and foremost, the manner or character of their living. Now, when we read 1 Timothy 3 a few minutes ago, do those character traits describe your pastor, your elders, your spiritual leaders, the the people you listen to on the internet, does that describe their character? It's interesting that that list contains only one skill, being able to teach. The rest of it is character traits. Who somebody is, not what someone can do. Now that's interesting. It opens up a window to describe to us what is really important to God. The showmanship of your ability to communicate or the character you communicate through your actions. I think that really says something. You know, I have a friend who follows one of these false teachers, one who made a rather large doctrinal error right from the pulpit one Sunday. And rather than addressing it afterwards or putting out a statement, they haven't said a word about it. No apology, no clarification of their stance, silence. And it's a very large church. Thousands of people attend this place. It's not that people didn't notice. And if you don't have the character to admit that you made a very public mistake, and you're just going to try to sweep it under the rug, you're not qualified to stand behind a pulpit. That's not the character that a shepherd should be passing on to the sheep. That Christians ought not to have this attitude of, if I make a mistake, I need to double down on it. I need to hide it. I need to not acknowledge it. No, we're supposed to confess it, repent of it, publicly if necessary. It sends a completely wrong message to do it that way. And that's just one example. I mean, if I gave myself weeks for this lesson, I could give you lists of very influential Pastors and spiritual leaders, churches with thousands of people in them who failed and were disqualified for their, from their ministry. Not because they weren't good communicators. Many of them were. But because they, are, they had major character failures that led them to being disqualified and churches being devastated. So moving forward onto the, the, the second category to inspect is the content of their teaching. Are they teaching the true gospel? Are they teaching, as Romans 3.23 says, that all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? 
but that God loved us so much he sent his son to die in our place on the cross so that whoever repents and places their faith in Jesus Christ and his completed work on the cross will not perish but have everlasting life. If that message is not coming from the pastor, that is a false teacher. That is a false prophet, a wolf in sheep's clothing, whether it be through proclaiming a different gospel or just the absence of the true gospel. Galatians 1 says that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But if even we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's heavy language. And there's lots of people who twist and distort the gospel today. This isn't a problem that went away in the first century that we can ignore. You guys have been going with us through Matthew. You guys have heard me talk time and time again about the, the legalists and the universalists. You know, we've given a lot of time to those guys. But there's also those who take the gospel and make it a man-focused religion rather than one about God, really, as the main character, if you will. Notably, those health, wealth, and prosperity teachers. I mean, they make the gospel about you. And they torture the scriptures to do it in such a narcissistic way where Jesus died to break the curse of the law, to make you wealthy, to make you healthy, to make you prosperous in all the things that you do. You're a kingdom kid. You're going to be victorious in all the things that you do. Yeah, explain that to Paul in the first century who got beheaded. Explain that to Peter who was crucified upside down. Didn't work back then. Why should we expect that now? But, but they don't see it because they're distorting the gospel. And that's, this is a different Jesus bringing a different gospel to save you from something radically different than what the scriptures proclaim. Everyone who proclaims those things is a false teacher. That's the end of that. That's, that's the way that it is. And this is becoming a worldwide problem, guys. I mean, it's especially prevalent in the Southern Hemisphere, but the more I prepared about this, it's all over America, too. There's tons of churches like that, even in this area. And you turn on Christian television, it's loaded with them. It's out there. This is a problem. And again, how do you tell? Examine the fruit of their ministry. Examine the content of their ministry. And remember, it's not just what's being said. It's what's not being said. You know, one very prominent pastor, someone who uh, has been said is one of the largest and fastest growing churches in America, was analyzed recently. They put his sermon notes through, a, through a computer algorithm. And out of 10 subsequent hours of sermons that were analyzed, all in a row, not like picking and choosing, not once did he ever call his listeners to repentance in 10 hours of sermon time. Plenty about changing your habits, but never once recognizing that we have sinned against a holy God, that we have fallen short of his glory, and we need his love, his forgiveness, and his mercy to change our wicked hearts and to put them into alignment with his as the true gospel exhorts us. Guys, that's a false prophet by definition. You have one job. 
proclaim the word of God. And the, the jewel of the whole Bible is the gospel. You, you can't miss it in the scriptures. It's on every page. Uh, this is gross negligence. You can sue somebody if, in somebody else's job for doing that. If, a if you call a plumber to come to your house to fix a leak, for instance, and they come in and they bring all their tools and they act like they're working and they're moving stuff around, but then they leave and the sink is still leaking, they've, they've done nothing. You can sue somebody for that. How much more so is the problem when it's not just your sink or your countertop at sake, but your soul? And I want to be fair and say just for clarity, you know, and I hinted at this a little bit last week when we talked about the narrow gate. You know, some good things can even come from these false teachers because God is merciful not because, not, but we shouldn't confuse it for fruit, healthy fruit coming from their ministry. You know, I know friends who have gotten saved because of false prophets. Where God, I have one friend who's, you know, who was really in a dark place. Uh, God had been working on his heart for a while, and he goes to one of these false crusades that have been going around, and he he. He, he just got the, just what he needed to decide, you know what, yes, I'm going to take God seriously. And that's the only thing that he took out of it. He eventually got plugged into a good Bible teaching church and is doing wonderful things for God right now. But that's not to the false teacher's credit. That just means that the Holy Spirit can draw a straight line even with a crooked ruler. That's how good our God is. So we, we got to be careful in evaluating where the fruit is coming from and why. We, we should strive to be a people being, who desire to be prepared to be used by God, not someone who God can use in spite of us. So let's, let's hear my heart on that. My time is gone for me, but I, I, I can't skip this next example because it has to do with us. The... Um, I don't know if you guys have been aware of this, but the PCUSA denomination this week released a new hymn. Some of you guys might be familiar with this. They, they, they took the, the tune of Immortal Invisible and retitled it. It's now, uh, this new version is called The Climate is Changing. The first verse reads like this. The climate is changing. Creation cries out. Your people face flooding and fire and drought. We see the great heat waves and storms at their worst. We pray for the poor Lord, for they suffer first. Hear me out, guys. I am all about being a good steward of God's creation. I have been since my youth. It's the, it's the first commandment given to Adam and Eve in the Bible, to till the ground and take care of the earth that God has made. We are called to be good stewards of God's creation. My mom and my grandmother instilled that in my heart from a young age. But I can't stand up here and pretend that I just read the words of a Christian hymn. That's not Christian. This is reflective of a false, man-centered gospel that has no place in Christ's church. It dances right on the line of worshiping the creation instead of the creator. Blurring those lines is dangerous. 
And I say that to you with such emphasis because this is your per capita dollars at work. It is up to, uh, it is causing such a stir online. And many people are calling this out for what it is, but this is our denomination. It's up to us to raise the stir to the denomination we're a part of. It's up to us to do something about this. And I got a copy of it if you guys want to take a look at it. It it gets worse than that first verse, frankly. (sighs) Got a little passionate there for a minute. So finally and quickly, because my time is gone for me, regarding this theme of examining the fruit and seeing what is making a true or a false shepherd, we have to ask, what is the effect of a shepherd's ministry? Because let's be honest, fruit takes time to grow. You don't plant something in your garden and get a harvest the next day. It takes time. So over time, what is, what is, how is the teaching from this pastor affecting you? This influencer, how, is they, how are they affecting the church? Are people growing? Are you growing in your relationship with God? Or are people just being entertained? Are, are people being equipped to do ministry? Or are the pews just getting filled through entertaining things? It's the emphasis of the leadership as a whole on missions and ministering to others. Or about building more beautiful sanctuaries and giving the pastor a larger salary. Or are people coming to hear a celebrity pastor? Or do people come to church to experience, above all else, the living God? You come, everyone comes here for a person. I hope it's not me. And lastly, how is the ministry changing the shepherd? How is the ministry changing the minister? Is, is their pastoral experience making them more humble? Or is their own ego inflating? Are they becoming more loving and graceful towards others? Or is their time in the ministry making them bitter and short-tempered? Are they becoming more narcissistic, always being the hero in their own stories that they share? Or do they have the humility to admit their own lack of faith on occasion? And guys, I'll tell you what, after being here for a little bit over a year, I have grown to have so much, even more respect and admiration for the man I've called my pastor for so many years. You know, he's, uh, he, said from the, he said from the pulpit himself, I'm an okay teacher, but I've grown in leaps and bounds under a good spiritual leader. And it, it, enough good things can't be said about that. It, it's hilarious how many times, even from this pulpit, you know, I've just needed a last-second sermon illustration, and suddenly something he shared 10 years ago just pops out of my lips as if it was my own thoughts. And... You can't say enough good things about that. That is good fruit. That is signs of an effective and good shepherd. Those are things we should be looking for. So in conclusion, don't take anyone's word for it when you hear somebody be recommended as a good shepherd. Test all things by the word of God, our final authority for these things. Test to see if it's true. Look to the fruit 
of the shepherd to see if they are true or false. Look at their character. Do they exemplify what Scripture calls them to have in their character traits? Do they teach the content of Scripture? Do they teach the gospel or a twisted, unbiblical version of it? And lastly, what are the effects that this shepherd has had in their ministry? My prayer is that each of you hears this exhortation this morning, exercises discernment, and is prepared for when you or a loved one encounters one of these false shepherds. Amen.